So what's this podcast about then? Continue listening. But just for a quick background, my name is Samir Bunga and I am from the firm Bunga Legal. This podcast is about the world of 2022 and how things are very different from what they were last year or even a couple of years ago. Just think about the last three years and where it's brought us in life so far. Let's remember we won't just be talking about the law, however. There will be a lot of opinion on this show, both ours and the opinions of our guests. We also need to remind you this is not legal advice, as this is very general. We do not necessarily hold the same opinion as the guests who appear on our show, but we are a very open show and we will be broadcasting a lot of different opinions. All right, guys. So today we have Dave Gibbs, former WA WA police officer, who I've spoken to previously. But last time I think we spoke, it was about neutralising and watching some of the videos that came out of, I guess you could say, not just lockdown protests, but generally some issues that we discussed Mm -hmm. with over-policing or overreach. However, there's always a second side to that, but we'll get to that at a later point. But for now, let's get to why you left the police, Dave. And just by way of introduction, if you haven't seen the old video, it's on. it should be on my page somewhere. This is going to be released on Instagram and by way of podcast later on. So first, Dave, introduce yourself if you can. Okay. Uh, so I was a WA police officer for 13 years. Um, I joined as a kind of a second career after a career in the kind of corporate world. Um, and I was kind of drawn to policing uh, really through a kind of semi-family tradition and also a real strong sense of, of service. I joined because I went to serve the community. That was it. It wasn't a money decision. It wasn't particularly because, you know, I never wanted to be uh, like an officer. That kind of, I just wanted to serve my community. So I joined in 2009 and uh, served for 13 years. And I left on February the 20th this year. The reason for leaving ultimately was that I lost complete and total faith in the organization I worked for. And I'd just seen an erosion of uh, what I saw as being good policing, particularly over the last six months. And it kind of came to a head where we were being asked to do things like going to speak to business owners about why people in their shop, store, whatever, aren't wearing a mask or why they're not wearing a mask. And fundamentally, I got to the stage where I just couldn't continue to do that. It's not my idea of policing it's not what i think policing is uh, i don't think it it is any way appropriate that armed police officers are performing that role and uh ultimately i look myself in the mirror and say you know i'm doing this job um, for the right reasons and it, it's not the right reasons so it was a hard so decision that, that's actually denigrating your function as a police officer you guys have a very important role in society and I'll say this again, i said this many times, we need police. This defunding bullshit is nothing but bullshit. Police are very important, they're vital, and unfortunately there is genuine crime. So without the police force, the country would fall to crap. However, what you're saying is that your function as a police officer rather than protecting the community was denigrated to enforcing something that most police, or at least a lot of police, aren't comfortable with, and not just that it's pushing society back, at least in my opinion. Yeah, so, I mean... If you, from a WA perspective, since the start of the, the COVID situation, approximately 450 police officers were taken away from their normal policing duties and moved into what was called Operation Tide, which is a uh, specific unit for dealing with the various parts of the COVID situation from airports, borders, 
hotel quarantine, all that kind of stuff. So it's just taken a huge amount of people out of the front line in the first instance. And then what's happened in the last, more so the last three months, but it's been, it's been going on for a while, is using the police such as myself to enforce these government mandates. And, you know, it's just something that I just don't think it's a policing function at all. Uh, and I think it's a real it's a conflict of interest for an armed police officer fully kitted up wearing his ballistic vest and everything going into a, into a shop or a cafe and saying, oh, you know, we've had reports that people aren't wearing masks in here. That's just, that's not so, the role of the police. Tell me this, what would happen if an officer said no? They were given that direction by the higher-ups and they said no. Ultimately, you know, unlike a normal job, being in the police, you are part of a paramilitary organisation. You have to accept that when you, when you sign up. You, know, you, you, you swear an oath um, and you are aware that you're given orders and if you do not comply with those orders, ultimately it can leave, lead to you being uh, disciplined and even dismissed. You know, simply if you're disobeying a lawful order, ultimately you can be dismissed for that from the WA police. And I could just see myself heading in that direction and I just wanted to choose my own destiny. Ultimately, that you know, thanks very much, but uh, I'm off. And uh, I'll be honest, although it was pretty scary to, you know, I'm on 52 now, to hand in your notice with, with no job to go to, it's a huge weight off my shoulders. And I didn't realise the emotional toll that the last six months in particular had taken on me until basically I gave my notice in and, and actually leaving has been just a, a real kind of reminder of uh, how good life can be, to be honest. How did you get yourself ready to leave? Because as you said, it took a toll. It would have been a hard decision, especially when you did it for the reasons that you did. 13 years is a decent time in the force. Mm -hmm. So how did you get ready to leave? Look, I had one foot out the door for probably the last um, six, seven months. So back in August of last year, uh, the WA police introduced a masking mandate for uh, the staff who hadn't had been vaccinated. Now, straight off the bat here, I should explain my approach to vaccination. I, I'm not anti-vaccination in any way, shape or form. My view always was I wanted to wait until the end of the trial period, which is uh, early next year, and look at the efficacy of the vaccines and then make a decision from there. And I'm a fairly analytical person. I've looked at the data as it's come out. And I made a decision at the moment, it wasn't the right thing to do for me. Didn't need it, very healthy person, um, wasn't something I was interested in doing. But because of that, I was basically forced to wear a mask from, I think it was August the 8th last year. And people said, oh, well, it's just a mask. But I was literally the only police officer in my um, station, so in the 10 of us, wearing a mask. And actually the only person in the whole of the town I lived in wearing a mask. And it was done... And it's pretty much been admitted, I think, by the commissioner, purely as a punitive measure to put pressure on officers who didn't want to get mandated, uh, get vaccinated, to comply. So, you know, that started to break my trust in the agency at that point. Um, I just think it's a disgusting way to treat people that, you know, it's not a simple job. It's a very tough job. Um, so that was the start of it. We went right up to the whole vaccination uh, Deadline, which was the 1st of December, I literally got vaccinated on the 1st of December. I didn't want to. Um, I, it was an extremely tough decision to make. In hindsight, do I regret it? Well, there's not much point regretting it because it's done, but it was not done 
willingly. And I think the evidence has come to light, even coming from the WA state government in the last few months, has really said, okay, well, these vaccines weren't particularly effective and they haven't done a great job. And that's why we're now pushing three, four, whatever shots. So um, I got vaccinated and then they came out, I think, in January saying, oh, actually, we're going to mandate everyone's a booster as well. And that was like, a, really, I'm not doing that. And then when every day started to be, OK, well, what COVID jobs we got today, which I think were being treated, frankly, a lot more high priority than they actually were. And we were being directed to treat them as a priority. Just the job's not, I wasn't enjoying the job. Simple as that. And, you know, I didn't feel that um, I was serving the community. I felt like I was serving the government. And, and honestly, that's not something I'm interested in doing. You know, I think, although as a copy, you are employed by the government understand that 100% and you are a tool of the government to a certain degree there's just a difference in how we were being used and I, I certainly in my 13 years hadn't experienced it we're essentially enforcing government policy and and that's you know that that's a, a real departure from normal policing which I think the Australian public should really understand Look, I just to stop you there for one sure. moment. People really do need to understand this: why judges are also officials that are appointed effectively. They're government employees. Mm -hmm. However, they're meant to be impartial. And I don't think it's any different from what you do. You are enforcing laws, but not just policies and not just politics. And that's a big thing. So there is discretion for you guys. You guys need to be allowed that, need to be allowed to do your jobs. When the government is constantly intervening in your job, in my opinion, they are breaking down one of the limbs of judicial separation. And not just judicial separation, the separation of powers in itself. So I think it's very important that people understand just because certain people are employed by the government or directly or indirectly doesn't mean they're employed to listen to them on a day-in, day-out basis. They still have a function such as judges and police officers. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you like that. No, no, no I think this is, this is a very important point. And what happened when the police commissioner was made the vaccine commander of Western Australia, that was the start of this complete conflict of interest as far as I'm concerned. I don't see how you can do both roles. Um, the police commissioner is not somebody with any kind of medical experience at all. And yet he's in charge of essentially the rollout of a vaccine program. And he's appearing on TV as the vaccine commandant wearing a police uniform. It's confusing for the public. It's, there is a clear conflict of interest. I note that the police commissioner gave up that role in the end. Don't know why that was. It wasn't really explained. But another police officer, assistant commissioner, I think, Dreisberg, is now the vaccine commander. But there should never have been a role that had anything to do with the police in the first place. And it, it is the latest in the long line of clear conflicts of interest and, and a clear moving towards supporting uh, political um direction as opposed to what's necessarily in the best interest of the community and the police are there i think to protect the community from crime obviously and also to protect the rights and of, of people to exercise the freedoms that they enjoy in a, in a country like australia we're not supposed to be an arm of the government to um, implement uh, government policy and that's what this stuff is is government policies and mandates which have not been through the normal parliamentary process we have a state of emergency that's lasted so far for two years. I mean, I don't know how you can have a state of emergency for two years. 
by definition, if it's an emergency, is it last two years? You know, we now try and invite people to come to Western Australia as tourists whilst we're still in a state of emergency. The two things are just uh, make no sense to me. You can't have both. Come to Western Australia. It's a state of emergency. It's great here. <laughs> I guess, and this is the thing, when it comes to money, money still beats any emergency, apparently. 100%. So that, that seems to trump everything. And a lot of people, we people should not forget generally. It doesn't matter what side of the spectrum you sit on. A lot of businesses have gone down. A lot of families have been hurt during this. A lot of single people have been hurt during this. And just generally, the population has been impacted negatively. There are certain sections of the population that have done well, but overall, that's not the case. And apparently, this has been for health. And the point you made earlier about measures being punitive, no health measure should ever be punitive. It should be educational and for the genuine betterment of people. So this is why I am personally anti any mandate that comes in or direction that's about this, because that to me, especially when it's taken this level, don't do it and you lose your job or you can't do this or you can't do that. That's punitive. That's not telling people it's good for them. It's telling people you better get this done. Otherwise, we're coming after you. And that's effectively in some way what they're then using you guys for. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, there's a real danger that the image of the police has been inexorably damaged, I think, in the eye of the public. And the longer this goes on, the more that confidence is eroded in the police to be fair and independent and enforce the law. Um, you know, there are numerous instances where in the Perth area, you know, a large number of police were sent to arrest the owner of a cafe because he wasn't complying with the uh, the vaccine um, checking, et cetera, et cetera, coming into his business. And uh, nine coppers were sent to go and arrest him. And, like, oh. I, d I just don't think, A, it's a good look, and, B, again, it is, this is not the police's role. If this is a public health emergency, then if there is some enforcement, I would suggest it needs to go through things like environmental health or the health department, maybe with the police's support. But, you know, we're the police. We're not health experts. I just don't think it's something we should be enforcing. Um, it's just not our role. And again, it creates this conflict, I think, with the police. And particularly when, you know, I know this from talking to people who are still working up in Perth, that the response time of police to normal crime is at the moment really, really poor and low because there is such a lack of staff because of a combination of staff going to Operation Tide staff who are currently off sick or in isolation because of um, COVID um, can't fill vacancies because, you know, people are, are leaving in the largest amounts certainly I've ever been aware of. So it's a real rough time. And if you're, you're getting burgled in Perth at the moment, good luck someone turning up in time soon. But if someone's calling the police saying there's someone around cold with a mask on, you better believe that someone will be there pretty quick. And that's, that's the simple fact of where we are at the moment with this. And that for me, is not a policing priority, um, and that's no, what's no, happening. Priorities are very important in this case. Even if the police, let's just say for argument's sake, play devil's advocate, the police are used for dysfunction, when you've got the wrong priorities such as that. Like, I just think anyone can argue that. If someone's about to go down and you don't give that the right priority, yet you're able to give a priority to a restaurant owner, as you said, being arrested or someone not wearing a mask, that's problematic to say the bare minimum. So 
it doesn't matter what side of the spectrum you sit on. So this is what people need to look at, regardless of where you stand and sit. There is still such a thing as ethics and morals and right and wrong. And that, to me, is just a clear wrong. Mm-hmm. There, there, there are numerous examples of, I think, uh, overreach uh, within policing over the last few months, which I'm happy to kind of discuss in a broad terms. You know, I'll give you the example of one um, where there was a situation where somebody lost their job as a result of uh, not being vaccinated and fair to say lost their shit you know, quite badly and um, there were some concerns for their welfare. That person was uh, uh, detained, their mental health and assessed, blah, 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 and that was dealt with. Uh, a few, well, probably about six weeks, two months later, the same person um, was still affected by the situation, had lost their job, also had lost a relative uh, overseas, but couldn't go back and see them because they, they weren't vaccinated uh, and was doing, doing quite a lot of emotional stuff at the time. Uh, he went into a local business and he didn't threaten anybody in the business. However, he was very angry about the situation and made some very general rumblings about the people in charge and, you know, they're getting what comes to type of thing. You know, nothing that from a legal perspective you could ever, ever charge somebody with threats for. But, you know, the business was concerned, so I reported it um, through to their sort of office. And long story short, this person... Um, this went up to Perth, um, and the uh, an area of policing which looks at um, terrorism got involved. That area had a um, psychological profile made up of this person, which they basically deemed him to be risk uh, risk of being a domestic terrorist. As a result of that, detectives were sent down to where I live. Um, and we were tasked to go and uh, arrest this person again. He was arrested. He was later released and then further detained under the Mental Health Act for another assessment. And when he eventually was taken for an assessment, he was released by the mental health professionals inside 40 minutes. And I just found that whole process a horrible abuse of power. And uh, I actually got to know that person after that incident and he's now managed to leave the country at last and go back to where he comes from but you know he was a broken man a broken man by the situation and uh far from trying to deal the situation and make it uh better he could they could have made it a lot worse because he was treated absolutely appallingly in the name of public health yeah and it's just that's, that's disgusting so basically your general training or let's just say common sense because you guys have a bit of discretion in the police would you, you say your discretion has been impeded i think general? any anything in relation to covid um, absolutely and it's been taken away completely so you know if so at a local level it is not the decision of the local police in relation to issuing infringements or summonses etc etc that's been centralized into the, the operation tide hierarchy but there's certainly had been instances of them giving instructions to charge somebody you know and that within the police the way it's always worked is that the officer who is ultimately going to be the charging officer they make a decision about whether they be sufficient evidence to charge somebody and they'll um obviously complete a brief of evidence or and then their supervisor will approve that and then they'll be charged in this case the direction has come very strongly from perth 
where they believe someone should be charged and that discretion has been taken away from the local officers and it's been made very clear that no no these people are getting charged and effectively if you work against that basically you are breaching your duties as a police officer yeah. not according to according to them anyway and that's going to lead to effectively sanctioning and just so people understand i'm pretty sure it'd be the same in wa police have their inner sanctions you can there's obviously penalties internally but there is obviously civil penalties as well when certain actions are taken but there are a number of ways where a police officer can be punished or i wouldn't call it charged but there are reprimands within the police is that the same for wa yeah so this police commissioner who i think took over about i want to say three years ago maybe four years ago he has uh, reintroduced uh, a lot of um, internal processes uh, in relation to fining police for various breaches of uh, the police act and uh, he has really 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 pushed that side of things and um yeah there's there's been a lot of that going on and look up to be honest the morale in the police is, has never been worse certainly not in my time and i've spoken to people who have been police officers you know for over 30 years in some cases uh, one very very senior police officer who i've worked with for for a number of years i've got huge respect for who i think has about 37 years when i told him i was leaving he said to me i'm, I'm so glad you're escaping this madness <laughs> that's not something you'd expect to hear at this point but i mean maybe not at this point but that's not something you'd usually expect to hear and like i've had so many coppers just say oh god i'm going to get out too i've had a gut for this. this is not why i signed up you know it's just this is not policing and uh, there's no end in sight. And I'm assuming there'd be police officers who stay because they don't feel they have a choice but to stay rather because it must be, they must feel it's harder to get other jobs. Would that be correct? Or Yeah, and the psychology of police is a weird one. So I, I had a career before the police, so it's, I kind of have seen the other side of, of life. A lot of coppers join, uh, it's literally their first ever kind of proper job. Uh, some of them have been, been cadets before and they'll serve, you know, 10, 20, you know, 25, 30 years. And the problem is the longer you're in it, the more kind of indoctrinated you become. And also you don't really believe that you have any value outside of the police. Um, and that's not the case at all, but it's scary. You know, if you've been a copper since you were 18 years old, you're now 45 and you think about getting another job, that's a scary process to be in. And um, so people choose, you know, the safety and, um, you know, police, like everyone else, have got mortgages and car loans and school fees and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, they, they choose or they feel they haven't got a choice. You know, I'm lucky in that, you know, my kids are all grown up. It's just me and my wife. Um, so we could choose to take a risk and uh, move into other, other, other world, if you like. But um, a lot of cops just can't do that. And I, I know so many that have sort of contacted me have said that, you know, I just want to get out. I've had enough. But whether they will or not. I don't know. Look, it, it makes sense. If you've been there from 18, 19, 20, started as a probationary officer and worked your way up, you're now 45, you've done nothing else really. You might have had a smaller time job when you were 16 or 17. Some may not have even had that. You know nothing but the police, right? So mm -hmm. at that point, leaving the police would mean losing your identity too, effectively for some yep. of these officers. I can only 100%. Imagine. You know, they, they become, yeah. People become connected to the identity of being a police officer and it defines them. And it's, it's actually something that is a big problem in the police is that people define themselves by what they do. Uh, I think it uh, 
something I've always tried hard not to do. I think there was a period through my career where I probably did. Um, but you get sucked into that's all you ever think about, and that's all your friends are coppers. All you ever think about is police work, and when you meet your friends, you just talk about police work, and it's not healthy. And um, I've tried really hard to, to have different friends and different groups of people that I, I, I socialise with, because otherwise you just have this incredibly narrow, pretty negative view of the world. Because police can be a fairly cynical bunch. It's one of those jobs because you deal with. Let's face it. You don't deal with the best people in society as a copper. That just isn't what you do. You know, you deal with uh, people who are on the on the fringes of it, and if you're not careful, you end up thinking that's what everyone's like. And I've seen it happen. And I, you know, I've had to catch myself a couple of times like that. And you end up thinking everyone, everyone is very easy, but good people or bad people, and pretty much everyone is in the bad. And it's just us, it's just the coppers who are the good. And it's just it's such a, a terrible way to see the world. And leads to lots of problems. You know, police have huge problems with drinking alcohol. Um, you know, it's, it's such a cliche, but I've seen it. There's a, such a culture of alcohol in WA police that you know they literally can't have anything, any kind of social gathering without drinking a skin for. That's that's just what happens, and it's unhealthy. And uh, we we are trying to care more about our, our people allegedly, because there's been you know a number of suicides recently within the police and you've got to address the culture it's not as simple as you know how do we stop people from killing themselves you've got to deal with the culture and the culture at the moment in the agency is extremely toxic and um, that's why people are leaving in record numbers i've been told that 90 people have resigned so far this year which anecdotally i would say is at least three times the amount of an average year and I think that tells you people are, are deeply unhappy. So let's go to the reputation that you spoke about earlier of the police and the image of the police in society. Now, there's always going to be a, the, the people who think negatively of police. I'll be honest, I've said certain things, but I've always said police are required. There's good lawyers, bad lawyers. There's good doctors, bad doctors. Police are no different. There's good and bad in absolutely yep. everything. So I have a lot of respect for police officers, but there's also officers I've dealt with personally who I don't like and vice versa. I'm sure everyone can say the same about solicitors, especially solicitors that apparently ripped them off or didn't do the right thing. So it happens. But when it comes to the general image, especially when it comes to the COVID period, do you, how much do you think has declined in your opinion and what have you seen and what have you perceived? So I think in WA, um, the impact has been reasonably minimal so far because what you haven't had in WA is the very large protests that turned into something else, which we had in Victoria and Sydney. So the majority of WA haven't really seen an impact. However, when you start seeing you know people being arrested because they're not asking people to sign in or you know, checking for mask man masks or vaccinations i think that is starting to make people think hang on a minute is this what i want from our police i think across australia as a whole there's there's numerous examples of um situations that have happened where the, the role of the police has changed and i just don't know if anyone's really kind of taken it in or thought out about it you know one was what we discussed before the the rubber bullet use at the melbourne protests now that was, you know, as far as I'm aware, completely unprecedented in Australia that that weapon has been deployed into a public order 
situation and furthermore was deployed on, on multiple occasions i don't think the australian public really realize how significant that is there's a real change and a real step in the wrong direction for australia as a country we were supposed to be better than that and i've heard and the, the scary thing is and uh, the biggest victim of this entire two-year drama has been kindness to each other and people are here people you know, i discuss with people and they're like oh yeah well just send the water cannon in next time you know a bunch of bloody you know dull bludgeon anti-vaxxers and it's like mate they're just people just like you and me you know people with families who've lost their jobs who are not happy about the situation and do they deserve to have a rubber bullet fired in their direction i don't think so and, and as Australians, we should all say that that is just not that's not what we stand for in this country. Well, people need to also realise the types of people who are going. I can tell you now, anecdotally, but look, I know because people tell me. I know doctors that went. I know lawyers that went. I know psychologists that went. I know uh, ambos that went. I know people in the fire brigade that went. I know people who were tradies that went. In fact, I know people who were linked to the police and potentially were police officers who went as well. So that is interesting when these people are going. Obviously, they take a very different role when they go and they probably may not be in the front and they might go to the smaller ones because there is a risk involved as well. But these are average people. And remember, especially in this bloody PC world that we're apparently in, all of a sudden, it's completely fine to rip on this section. Yep. yep. Makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, there's been plenty of other protests. Uh, if you think about the BLM protests that happened when there was a lockdown. Um, didn't see any rubber bullets, you know, any, uh, being used or even deployed in that situation. Just imagine for a second that on uh, Australia, on January 26th, which obviously is quite a controversial date these days and is seen by um, Indigenous people in Australia as Invasion Day. Just imagine if the police turned up in full riot gear with a rubber bullet gun slung over their shoulder. Can you imagine how, how that would have been taken or perceived? And yet, yeah. what, is, what is the difference? Please tell me what is the difference between people protesting because they don't think the Australia Day is appropriate and people saying that they don't think vaccine mandates are appropriate. Why is it okay and to do it? And people don't understand that. We, there's all, I'm in both in both categories or let's just say in both those opinions there's people on other side there are people who believe australia day should be australian day. there are people yep. who believe it should be invasion day just like when it comes to mandates or vaccination there are people who are against the covid vaccination there are people who are for it there are people who are against the mandates people who are for it yep. there are both sides to all of that so i completely agree when it comes to that protest what's the difference whether hmm. you like it or not whether you agree with it or not it's still a legitimate cause the only thing they'll point to is it was done during COVID. Although interestingly, when we had BLM, which I've been told is completely different, mind you, it was very different in New South Wales. We had a, well, not New South Wales, basically even there, uh, Victoria was the same. I don't know how big it was in WA, but you had the BLM protest and that was completely mm -hmm. okay. And I'm not saying people shouldn't do it if they respect that movement at all. But what I'm no, saying is, absolutely, these people believe in this, as people believe in that, you can't just stop that and treat it differently, especially when the, the right, COVID. yeah. The right of, to protest, peacefully protest, is one of the most important rights in a modern democracy. And unfortunately, at the moment, is being eroded um, because if you're protesting something that isn't um, supportive of the government narrative in Australia, 
it will be policed and dealt with differently. That, that, that is the message that's come across loud and clear. And I would love to know, somewhere in Victoria Police, someone high up sat around a table and they had a discussion about deploying rubber bullets. Now, I would love to know how that discussion went and how that was justified. Because, you know, do they, if I have that discussion every time, no worries. And I, can, I know for a fact that, you know, when there's a protest, there's always a riot squad. They're always there somewhere. But generally speaking, because it can be quite um, provocative to a crowd, you don't send the blokes out in the full body armour with all the gear unless you need to, because it just actually can wind the situation up. But there, again, a decision was made to have everybody fully kitted up from the, the start of the protest. And, you know, there's plenty of footage out there showing the way that rubber bullets were deployed seemingly indiscriminately into a crowd that didn't seem to be doing anything aggressive at that time. And I think that's a, a sad, sad day for Australia. Look, I, when it goes to the Cup Day, when it comes to Victoria, there were police who effectively bottlenecked or pushed a bunch of protesters because at that point you're allowed to have groups of 10 pushed a bunch of protesters together and then they ended up being more than 10 and started finding these people. If people actually think that didn't happen, I have witnesses of all different professions who would be very credible witnesses in court saying that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. People who I genuinely believe and I would fight for. So number one, just because something's alleged doesn't mean it's true and people really need to understand that. Police make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Totally. Number two, if it's a direction, in a direction like that, when you have a mass group of people saying it didn't happen that way, they were pushed into a group that was bigger than 10 when they were there originally in groups of less than 10. We need to bloody listen to it. We need to listen and at least hear them out at the bare minimum. And unfortunately, some of the things that happened in Melbourne, including uh, well, most of the protests actually, but the ones where they had the tactical forces out there, look, it wasn't the army, just to be clear, but it was the tactical no. special forces. That is still a bit much for what it was. Yeah, and like I say, this is, this is where you've had different areas of policing, um, like in, I think, in Victoria, New South Wales, the equivalent of the tactical response group in Western Australia have been used in this kind of like, um, almost like snatch squads to basically go out and, you know, target and arrest perceived troublemakers. And there were numerous examples. I remember one um, where guys jumped out of a vehicle and, you know, we're throwing the knee into people on the ground. And it's just, it's just, that is not how we do policing in Australia. And if we're happy with that, then God help us in the future. Because if, if we create that, that's okay. That's the normal. That's just a bad place to be. And it's just a sign that, you know, we're losing touch with this great democracy that we've always had. You know, and the, the classic example in Australia, the sense of a fair go, which you know, as someone who came from England 18 years ago, I've always loved that idea of a fair, a fair go for people and, like, the idea of mateship and, you know, looking after your neighbour. And we have just thrown all that out the window in the last two years. And we've been become divided because, you know, we have um, been labelled by different people with different things. And we're a more divided society now and certainly at any time in my 18 years in Western Australia. And uh, it's it was quite weird. So this morning, um, I'm a huge fan of the, the UFC. So it was on overnight in London. So I was in the gym this morning. I was watching the UFC while having a workout. And it came to me, uh, this, this real kind of weird realisation that 
in England, you could go to the O2 Stadium, which was sold out, the biggest crowd they ever had there, okay? There was no requirement to show anything to do with your vaccine status to get in there, and you didn't have to wear a mask, and the people were going absolutely off. They had a fantastic time. Meanwhile, here in Western Australia, I can't go to a cafe with my wife and have a coffee. <laughs> and that is not appropriate in any any circumstance and regardless of whether anyone and this is my i'm gonna say this is my personal opinion regardless of whether anyone supported this at the start or not it's that's not that's irrelevant at this point we have come to a point now where the rest of the world is trying to move on england's a great example where australia comes from whether anyone likes that or not uh, our roots are from england they've moved on as you've said we're not the eastern states are starting to move on new south wales has victoria still a bit slow although i know that the sentiment in victoria is changing wa for some reason is holding on tight and not just holding on tight it seems to be putting a bit more pressure on yeah. by the sounds of things yeah i mean um really western australia is a is a it's a strange place in some respects i i've always loved living here but the what really made me realize the last couple of years is that our strength is also our kind of our weakness in this situation so western australia you know kind of like loves being isolated and like people in perth say oh yeah we're the most isolated major city in the world blah 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 and they've always kind of rejoiced in that that literally the world could end and no one even noticed in western australia because we're so far from anywhere else and you see this kind of weird sort of there's been this kind of weird resentment game played by the state government for a number of years now with the eastern coast, east, eastern states, uh, about the GST and all that kind of stuff. And WA is like, you know, the the engine room of, of Australia and we produce 35% of the GST, GDT, whatever it is. So what's, what, what the government has done in the last two years is take this kind of natural suspicion of the east coast and the wider world and just put the wagons in a circle and said, don't worry, we'll keep you safe and we'll look after you. And there are a lot of people in Western Australia for whose entire family are in West Australia. You know, though we have got a lot of migrants, particularly from England in certain areas of Perth, we're not as anywhere near ethically diverse as you'll find on the East Coast. And there's a large bedrock of, I guess you'd call it second, third, fourth generation West Australians who all live in Western Australia. They don't have relatives overseas. And they regard the East Coast as really somewhere they might go and watch the footy maybe occasionally, and then maybe they go to Bali. That is their extent of kind of the world view. So these people love it. It's great. You know, they haven't got as many people coming over here from the East Coast. They don't want to go there anyway. Their family's here, so they don't really care. And they're very happy what's happening. Nothing, they haven't been affected. They've done what they've told by the government. You know, they've got their injections and everything else and they're just complying and they're quite happy with it. Their life hasn't changed at all. So basically the people that are already living very insular lives are continuing to live mm -hmm. insular lives because yep. it doesn't make a difference. However, yep. if you're not one of those people, then it completely uproots and changes everything about you because, as you said, you're, you've got family overseas. Yep. Uh, look, I, I have family overseas. Traveling for me was very difficult and still continues to be and will be. At this point in time, I don't really, I'd rather see the problems here fixed before I care and think about that. But it's a bit different when you have direct family overseas and a lot of people do like yourself. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've got three children. Uh, two of them live in Perth and one of them is in New York. 
So, you know, we haven't seen her for a year. Uh, last time we saw her when, when, she, when she was in Australia, we actually told her and her partner to get out of Australia about October last year because we could see how bad the situation was getting. Um, she couldn't really work here, nor could he. So they went back to America, um, initially to LA, and now they're currently in New York. And, you know, there's no prospect of being able to see her. It's as simple as that. And the crazy thing is, now, technically speaking, I could go to the US because I am double jabbed. However, I can't actually get back to Western Australia anyway, because if you come in from interstate, which I'd have to, you have to be triple vaccinated. And my wife, bless her, couldn't go and get in the States anyway. So at the end of the day, I love it here, but if it's it's not home if i can't come home so and that's where i'm at at the moment you know we, we don't want to leave western australia we love living where we live but increasingly it's leaving a bad taste in our mouths that you know we can't just go about our you know our just lawful business you know we are just we couldn't find a more law-abiding people who've just done the right thing for their lives and again we're just being punished for having a decision which is different to what the government wants you to have and if that's okay it creates a horrible precedent and if you don't think it won't be used in other things then you know i think you're kidding yourself in wa we have in wa um digital id it exists now today it was rolled out without any discussion in the wa parliament at all um and you everyone's been encouraged to sign up because you want to show your your vaccine status so you can go and get a beer in a pub you also have to show your ID to prove that it's your vaccine status and not somebody else's. So we have the Service WA app now, digital ID, alive and well in Western Australia, and I've not heard one word about it from anybody. Look, what you said is spot on, and I think this is a big thing. If people think it's going to stop here, I don't know what the word is. Naive, but that's probably an understatement. You're being ignorant effectively. Everything, it will start here, it will get much, much bigger. We've already seen in Victoria, the check-in, for example, was used by the police to see where mm -hmm. you were, to track your movements. It is the best way to track anyone's movements if you check in anywhere. So, I mean, which you obviously had to, and I'm sure everyone was legally, but, you know, it is huge. So what's stopping them using that when they've got all this information and data sitting there available for you to use except for this promise and that promise was broken and this is now so give it some more time where's it going to go digital currency only what's that going to do yep. look some people are completely fine with that i am not uh, maybe for different reasons to others but i do think cash is important and i think we should always have some form of cash but that's an argument or that's something that may change when we go completely digital or if that's the way we are going and arguably we are so it's going to start here it's going to get worse once and the biggest thing is when your rights are curtailed or they're impinged in any way that can happen again it will happen again because they've tested it and now the next big issue means it's going to happen again because they knew people comply so yes. why not do it all over again yes exactly i mean you, you create pressing these things and then you know as a government i guess you gauge the response you see how compliant people are and um once you realize that basically people will happily comply well why, why wouldn't you just do it 
again or differently or more you know now we have a digital id what do we do with that, that at the moment it's only really being used in that context of you know i want to go into the pub here's me here's my digital id here's my vac status but what's next okay i want to have a doctor's okay well let me see a digital id i want to you know renew my car rego once you've got it you can't put this genie back in the bottle and you see there's so many things because i saying this is only it's only a mask it's only this it's not you know it creates a precedent that we can be directed to do things by the government without any evidence of it being a good thing i mean let's 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 take masks for a second here i think most people would agree that masks have been completely and totally discredited from the point of view of cloth masks and the surgical masks um, i've read so many different studies about this and even the mainstream media has come out and said, oh, they won't really do anything. And yet we are still in Western Australia um, compelled to wear them in an indoor area. And um, even outdoors, like I say, I was in town yesterday. I reckon 50% of people were wandering around with a mask on outdoors. And I'm like, it's a mask. This is a muzzle. It's not a mask. And, and the knock-on effects of the masks in terms of our human interaction and our, our body language. As a copy, you really see this because when you approach somebody anyway as a police officer, straight away people's kind of shackles raise or you can see, oh, they're the nervous, whatever. But you can break all that with a smile, or some eye contact, things like that. Wearing a mask doing policing, it just makes the whole job even harder because, you know, you just got no facial expression and we've lost that connection. And, like, don't get me started on kids because, you know, we, we, are, we are doing serious damage to our children, which will be irreversible. You know, I've got uh, grandchildren. You know, I've got a five-year-old granddaughter who said to uh, her mum, my daughter, you know, she asked about whether she could have a mask because everyone else was wearing them, and you know, and she felt a bit left out. You know, it's, it's, it's. I think, I hope, we'll look back with shame on this current period of history, because I've always had the view that with everything about this whole process, from vaccination through to mask wearing, whatever. If you want to wear a mask, I don't care. Wear a mask. If you want to get vaccinated, good on you. Vaccinated. Children here have got no choices, that they are the victims in all of this, always. And I don't hear enough people speaking out for the children through this. And I think what we'll find, I mean, in the day, we are vaccinating children to protect adults. It's as simple as that, because none of the evidence supports that children are at risk in any way, shape or form. So therefore, we are, in, we are basically injecting children for the protection of the wider community that's never happened in humanity and nor should it do you know in the day children's lives are worth more than adults that's just the way it is my five-year-old daughter's worth 10 to me you know so she deserves to be protected uh, and we should not be using our children as like um as like a safety blanket for for the adults who mostly have or if they are at risk is have made at risk because they, they've made poor life choices to be honest Dave, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap wrap up this the policing part or your? Uh, what I would say to everybody who's listening is that you know they need to hold the police accountable for their actions at the moment. Never at a time 
in like Australian history has been more important to hold the police accountable. So, you know, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I would advise people when they are, you know, interacting with, with police in this COVID situation to make a recording, you know, to note who they're speaking to, you know, and, and if they are unhappy, to make a complaint because too many people just go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, no, yeah, they were really rude and like, I'm really unhappy about it, but, you know, whatever. Certainly in WA, there are plenty of routes to making a complaint about the way you've been treated by the police. And it's only by the public saying, hang on a minute, this is not good enough, will things change? What the police should remember is that you know, ultimately policing is done by consent. And what I mean by that is there's always more the public than there are the police. So yes, you are enforcing the law, but you have to do so by consent. If the public decides to turn around and say, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore, there is nothing really the police can do about it. Because if 5,000 people tomorrow decide to walk into the centre of Perth and none of them were going to wear a mask, the police can do nothing. So we mustn't, as a, as a public, feel powerless in this. We are the ones that have the power here. And it's only by us saying enough, I'm not doing this anymore, will it stop QR codes? If anyone can explain to me why we're still expected to check in anywhere, I'd love to have a chat about it because there seems to be, as it's impossible to contract trace when there are so many cases, why are we all telling the government where we are? Yep. Look, what you said there is spot on, absolutely spot on. People power is the biggest thing. And us lawyers, we can't even do as much as the people can. In fact, the judges will change their mind when the people do. When people start saying, we're not going to do this, the judges have no choice. Law is slow, sadly. And part of the issue with the mandates and directions are they've been given the power to effectively create, don't call it law, call it whatever you want, but create rules in a jiffy, in a matter of moments, without yep. actually discussing it properly or having any discourse about it. That, in this case, has worked, in my opinion, negatively, in a lot of people's opinions negatively. One thing I will say is here also, we're going to have to, we'll, there's probably going to be more sections to this. We did cover complaints about the police in different states and jurisdictions earlier. I think, Dave, we're probably going to have to do a separate one on that at some point yeah. because there's, we're never going to, like, we're up to about close to an hour now. We're probably going to, I think we could have a series of 10 one-hour podcasts <laughs> on that kind of stuff. So that's going to be something we cover later. But, uh, look, let's move on from this one. And thanks a yep. lot for joining us, Dave. So we'll leave this one as the issue we get under the hour. But I appreciate your time, and I hope to see a lot more police officers like yourself. I hope so. I really do. Thanks, mate. Cheers.